0: Rate with service on the Visible Plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.
1: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor at large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks Megan Rapino should be in the line of succession to the presidency, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I just conducted with United States Congressman Adam Schiff, who represents California's 28th district. He's the chair of the House Intelligence Committee and has also been a leading voice on tech policy in Congress, including issues like deep fakes, disinformation on social media, and Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. We recorded this interview in his office in Washington, D.C., so let's go there now to hear my conversation with Congressman Adam Schiff. So thank you for coming, Congressman Schiff. My pleasure. We're in your office here during a rainstorm on the House side in the Rayburn House office building. Let's talk a little bit about a letter you have just sent to Facebook, Twitter, and Google. So it's to Mark um, Sundar Pichai, Mark Zuckerberg, and Jack Dorsey.
2: Yes. um, We've written to them to essentially try to put them on notice Mm -hmm. about the problem of deepfakes. So uh, it asks what they're going to do about it, what they've done already, Mm -hmm. what their policies are. Um, back in 2016, my paramount concern as we were watching in real time what the Russians were doing was that they were going to start dumping forgeries among the real documents. Now, by and large, they dumped authentic but stolen Clinton emails.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, of course, there had been nothing that would prevent them from dumping forgeries. And they could right. have uh, inserted additional paragraphs suggesting illegality, things that would have been impossible to disprove in the weeks leading up to the election now, with deep fake technology, um, it would be very easy in a, in a way that would be difficult to ultimately attribute to the Russians or anybody else. Insert into the social media ecosystem completely fraudulent video of Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or Donald Trump or anybody else uh, in the weeks leading up to an election that would be almost impossible to disprove. Um, that worries me more, frankly, than other things that also concern me. it goes me. so
1: quickly. One of the, let me quote from this letter. The consequences for our democracy could be devastating, a timely, convincing, deep-fake video of a candidate going viral on the platform like Facebook, slash Twitter, slash Google, YouTube, could hijack, erase, or even alter the course of history. You 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 refer to the, the video of Nancy Pelosi, which I've written about. Uh, lots of people, uh, YouTube took it down, Facebook did not, everybody made a different decision. But what happened is it went viral on all these platforms, and it was hard to take it down. Once it did, it was a really, it was not a deep fake. It was just an altered video. So talk about the impact of that video here. Is that what prompted this?
2: It's not what prompted it. Uh, In fact, I think we had done a hearing in the Intel Committee even before that uh, Pelosi cheap fake was released. But it was a great trial run uh, to see, are the tech companies ready to handle this? What's the response going to be? Um, How do we deal with an environment in which uh, lies travel far faster than truth's? In the last election, the Trump campaign made an effort to portray Hillary Clinton as ill, uh, as in poor health. Um, they could have easily pushed out a video like that of right. Nancy Pelosi, where it looks like Hillary Clinton was slurring her speech. And 20 million people might see that, 5 million people might learn that it was a doctored video. But even those who see it and learn that it's doctored still don't shake completely the impression that it leaves. So. It was a good trial run to see, are we ready? And the answer was no, we're not ready. Uh, The tech companies aren't ready. They don't have, uh, I think, their policies fully thought out yet. Mm -hmm. Um, The government isn't ready. We don't have the technologies yet to be able to detect more sophisticated fakes. Uh, And the public is not ready. The public, by and large, when you bring up deep fake, they don't know what you're referring to. And so um, we don't have much time. It's eight months until the primaries begin to try to prepare the public, prepare ourselves, determine what other steps need to be taken uh, to protect ourselves from this kind of disinformation. So let's talk
1: about those steps. And I want to talk. About, we'll talk about the broader issues around tech in a second. But you asked for some things. You want to know how many views did the manually altered video of Speaker Pelosi? This is this test run you're talking about. Uh, how long did it take to initiate a complete review? How many views the videos has received for being marked false? You were talking about how Mark had talked about that deepfakes were a completely different category than overall fakes. So you're asking them. To, to look at things. When you get these answers, that's just the beginning. You've got to do something about it.
2: Well, it is the beginning, but uh, forcing the companies to go through the discipline of analyzing the question, developing policies, and being able to publicly justify their policies is part of what we can do. This is a difficult space for the government to operate in uh, because we're not going to censor people. But we can use the bully pulpit to try to encourage good behavior. Um, we can also share information when we learn through the intelligence community that Russia is pushing out a deep fake. We can alert the companies to it. You know, there, there needed to be better cooperation, coordination in the last election. We not, need to make sure that that's, uh, those problems are ironed out before the mm-hmm. next one. You know, that it's not um, ineffective merely to ask the questions. You know, I wrote a similar series of letters to the tech companies asking them to deprioritize this anti-vaccination misinformation. Mm-hmm. And they did so with great speed. I don't know that I've ever gotten a, a result that quickly from a simple letter. Uh, so it can be powerful, but it, you're right. It's not the end by any means. Uh, we're... Trying in the intelligence authorization bill to create a reward program through DARPA to those who develop technologies to detect doctored content. But how we use that technology, um, what kind of obligation we impose on the tech companies. Uh, I do think that, you know, the congressional scrutiny of how these tech companies are operating, whether they're using best practices, whether they have been good corporate citizens, whether they still deserve that immunity provision. Mm -hmm.
1: We'll get to that. I
2: I think all of that is salutary because I think they understand if they can't demonstrate good corporate citizenship um, that they may uh, prompt a lot of response from Congress they don't want to see.
1: One of the things, I think it's sort of pattern matching, but nobody's done anything ever. To them. They've never been legislated against. They've never had any guidelines in place. They've never had any rules.
2: You know, I think up until 2016, most Americans uh, and most members of Congress viewed them as a benign force for good. Um, you know, it certainly had long been past the point where they were nascent companies struggling mm-hmm. to get a, a foothold and where the argument that we need no regulation to make sure we don't stifle innovation. We'd already been long past that point, but nonetheless, they seem like a force for good. You know, mm-hmm. we had the—
1: Celebrities, you know, look up to, these are the heroes of our day, that kind of thing. Uh,
2: you know, some of that, yes, but, uh, but also the fact that uh, people in Egypt and elsewhere could communicate uh, out mm-hmm. of the watchful eye of their government. They could organize— we were seeing so many benefits. Now, ultimately, the Arab Spring didn't pan out to be the great benefit sure. we thought. What's but interesting
1: is Hong Kong—they didn't use any. They used they used paper and they used you know masks, and they didn't use the, the social media as much.
2: Well, and this is the thing. You know, I would say that 2016 was a turning point in the public view of technology as a benign force for good. Now we are gravely concerned about other uses of technology, uh, not just the social media platforms, but. China, for example, one of the hearings we had Mm -hmm. in the Intel Committee was how they are exporting their digital form of Mm -hmm. totalitarianism. The um, euphemistic, the the Orwellian Mm -hmm. uh, safe cities model where they have ubiquitous CCTV cameras tied into big data and facial recognition, Mm -hmm. social media scores. Um, So we are definitely— It's a surveillance
1: economy is what it is. It's a full—and they have to—they spend more on internal surveillance than almost anything to keep people in line. I think, you know, they have to do that, especially with facial recognition and everything. I'm going to get to that in a second.
2: But I I would imagine that is why you see what you do in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. where people are going old school. Mm -hmm. Um, They're realizing that, yes— Technology is great in terms of communicating, but it's also a great tool for the government to keep track of what you're doing.
1: Right. So let's go back a little bit, because you've been around—how many terms have you been?
2: Uh, this is my 10th term. And from
1: California. From yes. California. So you're very aware—tech companies, you're very aware of the importance of innovation and in tech in California. Let's go back a little bit in terms of the relation between government and tech, because it was good, and then it wasn't. Where do you imagine things went off the rails?
2: Well, I think that these companies grew so far so fast Mm -hmm. um, that their growth really outpaced their ability to analyze uh, the impact on the public good. And I think part of it was there was such a cultural bedrock view that what they were doing was unmitigated good, that, uh, uh, you know, the kind of a libertarian ideal um, that it took time even for them to realize how their technologies were used uh, for ill. Uh, and then, of course, that came into great competition with the uh, economic motives. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I think for Congress and for much of the public, that turning point came in 2016.
1: What about Edward Snowden before that? Because I think a lot of the non-communication started there. There was a real break. And then the encryption fight during the Obama
2: administration. Well, you know, that, I think... Uh, certainly had the effect of creating uh, antagonisms between the government and the tech sector. Mm -hmm. I don't think it altered the public attitudes, though. Uh, In terms of the public attitudes, they looked at Snowden, they looked at the encryption debate— Um, And they saw really these things as flip sides of the same coin, that government was being intrusive in terms of the surveillance power, the technology companies were providing the answer. Um, That's not how I think the public views the issue writ large anymore. I mean, they may still feel that way about encryption, but they also now realize that it's not good versus evil, tech versus government. Uh, It's now technology is a force for good and ill. And I think there's a growing public recognition that the kind of laissez-faire attitude government has had towards the tech community is, has passed its point of utility.
1: But do you think the Snowden revelations, when they should have been cooperating on things like Russia impacted? You, you're in the midst of the Russia the Russian investigations, do you think it impacted the ability of those companies to work together at a critical time? Because that was right around when a lot of this, it was 2012 is when the Russians really started. Like, it, they started moving around. And the, the theory I have is like, look, they lost the Cold War, but this is the new version of that. which Well, I,
2: I do think that the technology companies um, felt post-Snowden and maybe even pre-Snowden that getting too close to the U.S. government, particularly getting too close to the U.S. intelligence community, was antithetical to their um, philosophy, but was also bad for business. Mm -hmm. In a global environment in which people around the world were very protective of their privacy, as they are here at home, being seen as too, too much in bed with the U.S. government was not a good thing. So I think that was the environment we went into the 2016 election in, and that probably spilled over in terms of the degree to which we could get cooperation from the, the tech sector. It was you know, very difficult. We were pulling teeth, for example, to get them to provide us with all of the social media ads. Mm-hmm. It was then pulling more teeth to get them to... Um, excise the personally identifiable information so that we could release them publicly. They did not seem to want us to release them publicly. Ultimately, we did, and I think it was very beneficial because researchers could use that, and indeed the companies themselves could hold them up as examples of what people need to be looking out for. Uh, But we had to overcome a lot of opposition to do that. Uh, I don't think that opposition is completely gone by any means. But uh, I do think... um, What
1: what do you mean by that, that they're not...
2: Well... I mean, they're not, first of all, it's not a monolithic agency right, uh, uh, sector. Yeah. I mean, some companies are more oh, willing. Oh, no.
1: They, they, I think the two that, if you if if you want to put it down to playground politics, most tech companies like, you know, Facebook and Google, those jackasses. Like, they're ruining it for the rest of us. I think Facebook and Google are the ones they feel are the ones were are more violative of these kind of things.
2: You know, I don't know if that's uh, correct about the public perception. You know, I can say in terms of our own interactions, it was often more difficult to get information from Twitter Mm -hmm. than some of the other companies in terms of the Russian manipulation of their platforms. We often got better data from the Hamilton Project about what they were seeing about Russian use of bots Mm on— on uh, these platforms than we could get from the platforms themselves. So,
1: Why? Uh, Why
2: was that? Well, that's a good question. Uh, in Twitter's you know, I,
1: case, it could be a goat rodeo, the way they manage things. In other cases, they did they deny it? Do you feel like it was a denial of wanting to give it to well,
2: we you? Well, no we would get answers back that were written by the lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a lawyer, I could appreciate good lawyerly writing. Uh, answers that didn't necessarily answer the question or answer the question in such a way— as to avoid telling us something they didn't want to share. And so we would have to go back to them multiple times to make sure that we had visibility on on the issue. You know, I I do think the companies, either because they recognize the problems that have been created or because they fear losing their immunity or being broken up, I think they are uh, less reticent to share with us now uh, when we do our oversight, Mm -hmm. but it's still not easy.
1: How does it change since you've, you're have you in the majority now? You were sort of, you were on a lot of cable television. They weren't, this committee was, where is this committee now? Because yeah. it seemed like it went off the rails pretty quickly. Not The Senate, not as much. But wh- how does it change with you being in charge?
2: Well, you know, the good news, bad news of our committee is that even through the worst of our differences on Russia, mm-hmm. we continue to do all the rest of the business of the committee in a nonpartisan, bipartisan way. So... Uh, on the floor next week is the Intelligence Authorization Act. That passed out of our committee on a unanimous bipartisan voice vote. We passed that bill last year. We passed it the year before. Uh, whether we are the minority, my majority, uh, we've been able to do it. And that's the bread and butter of our work. It reflects funding levels for the agencies, privacy protections, changes in uh, how much we're going to devote to human intelligence versus signals intelligence a whole host of issues, and we come to agreement on it. And frankly, we get those bills passed even when the Senate Intel Committee, which has done better on Russia, can't get that work done. So um, that's been the good news. The bad news is that our differences on Russia have been profound, mm-hmm. uh, and that continues. Uh, that's made life very difficult. Um, you know, we um, you know adhere to the mission we took on in the beginning, and that was determine what the Russians did, how they did it the connections they had with the Trump campaign, and we were fighting them to get those answers when we were in the minority. We are now fighting the Justice Department to get those answers in the majority
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and fighting the administration. So um, we continue that effort and certainly much easier with the gavel, but it is difficult now because we have a president obstructing everything. So
1: you have to sue it, sue it, out, get, get them to...
2: We do. And now we are getting information. Uh, We are bringing in witnesses. We are getting documents. But it is a hard slog. And they are raising, the administration is raising non-existent privileges and using every delay tactic they can. Nonetheless, we are gaining information and gaining ground in our understanding of what took place. And we're going to continue to press until we get the information out to the public. So
1: overall now, where do you feel you are with what took place? Because what you need to do is look about what they're doing today.
2: Yes. Which the
1: FBI does, I'm assuming, CIA in certain parts of the world do.
2: Yes. You know, I think we have a good appreciation of what the Russians did. What we are looking at on our committee is, what are the counterintelligence risks that have been created as a result of what they did in 2016 and 2018? What are the risks going forward? What Mueller and his team did was basically a criminal investigation into who should go to jail. Mm. The Mueller report itself is a prosecutor's report on why he charged certain people and didn't charge others. It doesn't address at all the other half of the investigation, which is the counterintelligence investigation. Um, Who was operating as agents of a foreign power? Uh, What were those agents doing in this country? what risks uh, have been posed to American national security by virtue of contacts between the Trump people and the Russians. Um, Those risks continue even um, as to things that were not charged. And so we are trying to get an understanding of those and what we need to do to protect ourselves, uh, as well as analyze what Mueller wasn't allowed to look at, uh, including the issue of money laundering. Mm -hmm. So there are still a great many things we don't have answers to. But at the end of the day, the most important thing for us is to make sure that the country is protected, that um, there's no vulnerability compromise that is impacting U.S. policy that goes undisclosed.
1: We're here with Congressman Adam
0: Schiff. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back after this. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: What are you most worried about right now? It's interesting because sometimes you and uh, Senator Warner often say, well, if you knew what really went on, what is the big worry from your perspective right now?
2: You know, what, what I've been saying really for most of the last year and a half is really quite the contrary, which is, everything in the public view is already damning enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, just look at what's in the public view. Right. And, you know, what's in the public view is um, a massive Russian intervention in our election, a Trump campaign that not only was aware of it, but was encouraging it, um, made full use of it, didn't report it, and then tried to cover it up. Uh, And to this date, a president who through his word and deed, seem to encourage the Russians to do it again. Uh, Every time he speaks with Putin and he mocks the idea that the Russians intervened in our affairs, as he did in his last meeting, or as in his phone conversation just prior to that, uh, once again called this all a hoax, Mm. uh, or that debacle in Helsinki where he took the side of Putin over his own intelligence agencies, he is communicating to the Russians he is too weak to call them out uh, if they intervene again. And what's more, if they intervene on his side, he may very well even be grateful. Uh, that's the message he's delivering. And, you know, the Russians, just like just like us, they do psychological profiles of their adversaries. They know exactly what buttons to push to get what they want out of the president of the United States.
1: So uh, Robert Mueller is coming next week to talk. Were you— there was no collusion proven. It was co- possible cooperation. on was that a blow to the efforts you were making to try to? Because what it what happens here is it gets confused. I think getting it confused is damage. Is the way to really damage it is if you say, the Russians did this incredible. most intelligence agencies agree. All the intelligence agencies agree that this is what happened. And one person in the room says, "Well, maybe."
2: Well, you know, just the way you phrase the question yeah. shows, the success that. That's
1: what I am trying.
2: To, that Trump and Barr have had in misrepresenting Mueller's work. Right. Because, of course, there's no part of the report that says there was no collusion. Quite Mm -hmm. the contrary. Uh, What Mueller says is, we don't analyze the question of collusion. That can be criminal, and it can be non-criminal. What we look at is, was there evidence, beyond a reasonable doubt, of criminal conspiracy? And while we do find Mm evidence— we don't find that we can prove each element beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, that's very different than a conclusion that there is no collusion. In fact, there is lots of evidence of collusion. There's a Russian offer of help communicated to the top levels of the Trump campaign. Um, There is the president's own son saying he would love to have that help. There's the president's son, the campaign chairman, and son-in-law taking a secret meeting to receive that help. There are lies that the president and his son engage in to cover up that meeting. There are the Russians telling the campaign through an intermediary named Mifsud that they can help the campaign through the anonymous release of stolen emails of Hillary Clinton, which is what exactly they would go on to do. There's the president making multiple requests uh, to find out what the Russians have given WikiLeaks that can be released Um, Sean Rich, just
1: this week. All of these things, the the
2: provision of polling data to Mm -hmm. someone linked to Russian intelligence by the campaign chairman uh, involving multiple states. So all of that is evidence of collusion. And, you know, what we hope to do in the hearing is bring that out. Because, you know, what Bill Barr did uh, as essentially the agent of the president— was misrepresent what was in the Mueller report and delay the release of the Mueller report as long as he could. So that he would have a month and the president would have a month using his bully pulpit to mislead the country into thinking the report says no collusion, so no obstruction. So what
1: do you do now? Because most intelligence, aid, all intelligence agencies agree this happened, but there's confusion on it. It's, confusion has been created. Is that over? Can, can this, does this testimony matter at all?
2: It matters a great deal. Um, Bill Barr would like nothing better than his misleading word to be the last word. It's why he is affirmatively now trying to discourage Mueller, why the Justice Department is trying to uh, interfere with the hearing next week. Mm -hmm. And it's because uh, Mueller will contradict uh, in word, if not explicitly taking on Barr, what Barr misrepresented, what the president is misrepresenting. And the American people need to hear that from Mueller. It's one thing when they hear it from me. Mm -hmm. It's another when they hear it from the president. It's another when they hear it from the attorney general. This is the guy who did the investigation. Uh, And what Bob Mueller is going to say next week is he's going to say the Russians intervened in a systemic way. That was no hoax. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did so to help one of the candidates, and it wasn't Hillary Clinton. Um, The Trump campaign was not only aware of it. They were eager to get that help. Uh, they not only were eager to get that help; they made use of that help. They not only made use of that help; they then lied to cover it up. Uh, those cover-ups may be a crime. I can't say, but I can't exonerate him either. Mm-hmm. That is a he's, powerful rebuttal to the the falsehoods being put out one by the White of, one House. One of
1: the things, that sort of, the idea around it is that he's reticent; that he doesn't want to come. He said all he said. He did that press conference, which I found unusual. The idea. That I said all I've said. How do you get him to say more?
2: Well, uh, the press conference, I think, was an effort to say, I really don't want to testify, but I know that I can't completely disappear. Mm -hmm. So how about 10 minutes? Mm -hmm. Um, That, of course, didn't satisfy anyone. Why doesn't he want to say just what you were saying? Well, you know, I think it's a combination of things. I think that he's been kicked around for two years. Uh, He realizes no matter what he says during the hearing, he's going to be kicked around more. Mm -hmm. No one looks forward to that. I think he also views his role as a prosecutor, and prosecutors don't normally talk outside of their indictments. But as he acknowledged in his own report, he is not operating in a traditional prosecutorial role. And while I understand why he is reluctant, that came with the job. Mm -hmm. And if you're not willing to do what— is required of so the what job and don't take the job in
1: the in the media because it's you know the the report's going to come out now we'll see what really happened kind of didn't because they were able to to talk about it in the way they wanted to uh, he gave the press he gave a press comments where he didn't really it didn't people are waiting for this to nail this administration and it never does
2: well uh, it's certainly true that what was said of Reagan. Mm-hmm is far more true of Donald Trump. Uh, when they call Reagan the Teflon president, um, he was a piker compared to Donald Trump. I yeah. mean, the things that that are provable about Donald Trump on a daily basis mm-hmm. would have resulted in Ronald Reagan's removal, um, or anyone else for that matter. So he brings a new level of Teflon we've never seen. Um, nonetheless, uh, you know, I think it will be powerful to hear from Mueller. I think it's important the country hear from Mueller. Uh, Whether it changes attitudes appreciably, I don't know. I come into this with very um, circumspect uh, expectations about what will happen. There are a lot of hardened attitudes about the president, about Russia. uh, But I do think that we have an obligation to get the facts out to the public, and the public will make the judgment about what weight to give them and how to use them in in their decision-making. But uh, it isn't sufficient to do an investigation like this, like Watergate, To hand off the report and then say, we don't really want anyone to pay attention to this in Congress or the public. Uh, If the Republicans had been uh, in this same posture after Watergate, there would have been no Watergate hearings. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would have gotten the report from uh, Jaworski and they would have said, okay, anything else is a do-over. It wasn't true then. It's not true now. And so uh, we'll discharge our responsibility and we'll leave it to the public uh, to... Decide what the consequence. But no
1: definitive blow. It's that's it's a slow it's a slow moving thing. Or what is the?
2: Well, I I don't know what the impact will be of his testimony. Whether it will be catalytic. uh, Whether it will change attitudes on impeachment, uh, or whether it will really not move the needle very much. I think it's impossible to say. Um, I do think that we need to be realistic. uh, I don't imagine there are going to be any dramatic new facts right. that come out All in his of testimony. Sudden, I think what if, I there really are, meant to say if there is, are dramatic new facts. He's a Russian agent. <laughs> yes. I don't think we can expect that. Um, but nonetheless, um, because most people have not had the opportunity in their busy lives well, to read this report, read it. yeah. it's the first time they're really going to hear about it mm-hmm. from an impartial source.
1: So when you talk about the Teflon president, when, when you're dealing with this kind of thing, he's a very heavy user of. Social media in the same way, using it to do a lot of falsehoods. Actually, um, using these platforms, how do you look at that? What do you think? Do you sometimes go, "Oh, wow, he's good at that," or, do you, or you're like, "I'm appalled by the use of the platforms like this." Well, or both.
2: I guess both. Um, yesterday, he tweeted out something patently false about Iran's compliance with the nuclear deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so I it's have like to Wednesday say, at two although I, okay. I keep saying, I'm, uh, you know, I've lost my capacity to be surprised, I am still surprised. Really? What do you yes, do? Do you I'm sit still there and surprised. just go, what the I, heck? Yes, I do. Get your fingers I, I, out. I read the, the president saying that Iran was mm-hmm. cheating on the nuclear deal when there's no evidence to support that and a lot of intelligence that they were uh, living up to the deal before we got out of it. And it still takes my breath away that a president of the United States will just baldly lie about something of such significance. Um, That ought to take our breath away. Mm -hmm. And Um, he has
1: a vehicle to do it in a different way. How do you look look at his use of Twitter?
2: Well, you know, for someone who loves to criticize these companies, no one has derived more benefit from Twitter than Donald Trump. Well, I say that. You should send them
1: flowers every every
2: day. There there should
1: be a new bouquet. uh,
2: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Because traditionally if um, he were relying on reputable newspapers or broadcast um, to the degree they would discuss a statement of the president's like that. They would examine it and they would expose it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he knows he can communicate directly without the uh, filter of good journalism. Mm -hmm. And so it is what it is. Uh, You know, I think... Does that
1: change politics forever? Or is it just that he's an aberration who happens to be very good at Twitter?
2: Both. I don't think that... When he's gone, mm-hmm. uh, someone is going to be able to carry on the cult of his personality. There are certain parts of this that are unique to him. Yeah. Uh, the kind of reality TV, I can't turn my eyes away from this disaster quality. Um, yeah,
1: Mike Pence is less than compelling.
2: <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. There will be someone running in the Trump lane right. for some time that will try to do what he does probably without the same, you know, native yeah. ability. Right. Um, but in terms of using social media um, as a and run around any journalistic you filter, you use it a lot.
1: Why, how, yeah. What are you trying to do there?
2: Well, I I've always believed that you need to, you need to media. communicate uh, in every media that your opposition is. Uh-huh. And you what are you necess-
1: going for? Sometimes you do indignant. Sometimes you do funny. You do.
2: Yeah. Well, you know. In, you do, you do I have these to say, yourself. In the you do these yourself. I was a relative, Yes. Um, and now I, I have my staff review them, and my staff will propose tweets to me. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I have to say, I, I was kind of a late user compared mm-hmm. to other members. I bridled at the idea of having to put a complex thought in, in mm-hmm. a few characters. But then I, I grew to think it was kind of a fun challenge in a way, to say mm-hmm. something unique or witty or ironic or mm-hmm. whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, our Twitter feed is a little eccentric, mm-hmm. um, I did a—and I caught my uh, censors, my staff censors, I think late in the evening when their their guard was down with a tweet that was just straight out of King Lear, Mm -hmm. and it did very well. Um, I think the people that follow our Twitter feed follow it because it's a little unusual, but we use it for a variety of purposes. Sometimes we use it to rebut the president. Sometimes we use it to um, alert people of new things that have happened, either in the Russian investigation or other things— Um, Sometimes we use it to call attention to things that are positive, and it's a nice break from the sort of monotony of what Trump is doing wrong today.
1: May may I ask the question then, is this any way to run a government? Because this week he did a tweet that was an order that the Justice Department lawyers didn't understand. And the the lawyer, if you saw the lawyer, I think I wrote about it this week, the lawyer was like, he tweeted, I don't know what it means yet, I need to find out. But it's government by tweet. It's not just campaigning or... I'm the best president ever, and people love me. That's fine. But this is government by
2: tweet. Oh, it's, it's just awful. I mean, there is where, no— Where inter, do we go? The where, interagency we, mm-hmm. is what's between his hand and the screen uh, on his phone. Uh, there is no interagency. I mean, he will announce sanctions. He will do away with sanctions. He will accuse countries of violating treaties. Um, he will undercut his own staff. He will make an overture to a North Korean dictator uh, for an unplanned meeting. I mean, all of that is just on, on the impulse.
1: How unsa- like from an intelligence point of view, how does it, how do we get back from that?
2: We're not going to as long as he's president. Um, it, when, when he leaves office, uh, the question is, how do we get back to some norm of office again? We are already... Writing the post-Watergate reforms of this generation, mm-hmm. uh, reforms of the pardon process, uh, reforms of the ability of the president to intervene in Executive specific Act. cases in the Justice Department. Uh, we're going to have to have a much speedier mechanism for the enforcement of congressional subpoenas and process. Yeah, that we're you might work on that. Writing the reforms. And, you know, frankly, they'll be bipartisan when mm-hmm. he's gone. The Republicans won't support them now because they're, they run scared to death of being on the receiving end of a presidential tweet. Mm-hmm. There's been, I think, the most profound display of collective cowardice that I've ever seen in terms of a legislative body. But we'll pass these reforms when he's gone because they will feel, well, they'll recognize they do already the, the need for it. And there won't be the same political peril of being perceived as slating the president.
1: So why don't you all do something about that? Where, where were we on impeachment? Just today, there, there just yesterday, there was this odd fight between Nancy Pelosi and the squad over tweeting, over disagreeing with each other. It's a new day in politics or not. I mean, it's a different kind of mentality in politics. Do, do you feel that way or is there any way to go back? There isn't, as far as I can tell.
2: Well, you know, I, I do think that uh, one huge impact of Donald Trump has been to change the tone um, of politics. And it is no exaggeration to say that the president sets the tone for a lot of things. Uh, I remember early in the, in the administration feeling that his character flaw was infecting the whole of government. Mm-hmm. And then I remember after Dr. Ford testified and Trump went to that rally and was mocking her. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the people standing behind him on the stage and they were laughing mm-hmm. at Dr. Ford. And I thought to myself, okay, now it's gone well beyond infecting the character of the government and infected the whole country. Oh, 100%. And, uh, you know, I think we see that in a, in a debasing of the political process and the dialogue. I mean, if you answered the phones in our office for a while, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when I go on Fox oh, um, yeah. and compared it to what it was like answering the phones in a congressional office 10 years ago or 20 mm-hmm. years ago or 30 years ago, I mean, it has been a complete debasing of the political dialogue. You need to
1: get rid of phones. That's my feeling.
2: <laughs> just don't <laughs> have
1: them called because you know who's on the phones. So, but within your own well, party... Well, people are
2: com- more polite on the phones compared to how they are on social media. Well,
1: true, but the, the, many of them are bots. Um, I had a <laughs> reporter, a very well-known reporter, was arguing with With someone, and I and I texted them and said, "You're arguing with a bot. Like stop. Like you don't understand. Like I just traced it for you, which was funny. But she she'd gotten in and stayed over it, which was really interesting. What about within your own party? Here are a bunch of really young, fresh Congress people who are using the mediums in a similar, in a way that's not unsimilar." factual, but not unsimilar in terms of, of creating opinions and disagreements out in
2: public. What does that do for... Well, I, I wouldn't compare anybody, I guess, to Donald Trump. No, but it's I, using I think the he's- platform
1: in this way that's very different. And oh. and so, as, uh, Speaker Pelosi said, oh, it's whatever, this online thing isn't what really is politics. Is it or not?
2: Well, I think social media has really transformed the political process. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of systemic changes uh over the last decade uh changes in how campaigns are financed that have empowered private interests outside of the capital at the expense of the political parties at the expense of the leadership social media is also i think really changing the nature of the institution uh, the nature of the political debate and the nature of how campaigns are run i mean if you look at what the president was able to do on social media i think we are really witnessing two revolutions taking place at the same time that are hugely disruptive. There's a revolution in the economy uh, through globalization and AI mm-hmm. uh, in that is producing massive migration flows, that is uh, producing Job disruption uh, e- enormous disruption in the marketplace, in, in people's jobs, and all the economic anxiety that goes with that. At the same time, there's a revolution in how we communicate through social media, um, which is equivalent to the invention of the printing press, except there we had hundreds of years to get used to it, and here we have weeks sometimes, or a year, or years. Either one of those things would be hugely disruptive. Both put together, I think, are resulting in a conflagration. And so we are, I think, just figuring it out now. Uh, What does this mean, and how is it gonna change the nature of Congress, the nature of our economy, our lives, our retirement Where do you system. come down on the, the controversy this week?
1: Should they be able to tweet what they want?
2: Or um, Absolutely. I mean, they, they have a First Amendment right to say or tweet whatever they want. Whether it makes sense to be attacking each other when the real opposition, at least to what we're trying to accomplish in terms of these families who are suffering, is the president and Mitch McConnell— I don't think it, it helps advance the cause for us to be going after each other. There is a world, a universe of difference between what we think ought to be done for these children mm-hmm. uh, and what Mitch McConnell does or Donald Trump does. I mean, as we speak, uh, they are potentially uh, engaging in raids around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, already, immigrant communities are in great Terrifying. fear about what's going to happen to their friends, their neighbors, their children, their parents, uh, I remember the day after the election going to the uh, Boys and Girls Club in Hollywood. And people think of Hollywood as being very wealthy, but there are parts of Hollywood they are very poor. And there were, the, the executive director told me that the kids at the club the night before were in tears because they felt their parents were going to be deported. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is what we're up against. And I think when the House is burning down around us, as it is, we can't afford to fight with each other. Mm-hmm. We need to keep our focus on protecting these kids, these families, protecting people's access to health care, making sure that this guy is a one-term disaster only, making sure that Mitch McConnell is replaced and we have a Senate that will protect people from gun violence and is working to mm-hmm. preserve their access to health care rather than do away with it.
1: How do you, how do you stick your, put your chances at?
2: Well, you know, I think that prudently in terms of the presidential race, we have to expect it's going to be hard. It's a, I think it's a 50-50 race. Mm-hmm. We underestimated him in the primary and the general. We're not going to underestimate him again. It will all come down to whether we can turn our people out. Uh, the good news for Democrats and progressives is that we significantly outnumber um, those that think Donald Trump is doing a good job. If we turn out our people, we win. So it is within our own power mm-hmm. to control our destiny. You know, and that's empowering. Uh, we can do this. Uh, we just need to make sure that we we turn our people out and that we're not a house divided. And so I would much rather be in a position where we're in control of our own destiny than we we're at, at someone else's whim and we have to count on them to fail. Uh, so this is, uh, you know incumbent president, always tough thing to beat. But if there was ever an incumbent president uh, who could be beaten, it's this one. Uh, and I'm optimistic we will beat him. Uh, I'd like to make sure that we take the Senate at the same time.
1: We're gonna take another break now. We'll be back after this with Congressman Adam Schiff. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really,
0: really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life.
1: things I want to talk about before we're finished. One is what getting back to innovation, the idea of where innovation is going. But before that, I want to ask you about where you think the threats are now from a digital point of view in the cyber wars. Is it from China, from Russia, from where, do you, where are you worried the most? M- many people, you know, we talk about artificial intelligence, facial recognition, robotics, automation, and things like that. China's really moving far ahead in many of these things. You're from a state that has... And the, at the, the leader of tech around the whole globe. What is your biggest worry among those? And what, what do you think we have to do as a country to keep that innovation or keep that particular
2: uh, engine going? Well, I would distinguish between worries over how uh, foreign powers might intervene in 2020 mm-hmm. and then the deep broader bags. challenge that we face from other countries. In terms of 2020...
1: Is it deep takes?
2: Well, it... it In terms of a foreign Mm -hmm. adversary, it's Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of what tactics they may use, I would put deep fakes or something similar at the top of the list. Uh, I still have profound concerns about the security of our elections infrastructure. And, you know, frankly, they don't have to change the vote. They just have to create enough doubt where we can't rely on the outcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we have a situation like that, can you imagine a Bush v. Gore uh, electronic dangling Chad situation. Yeah. Uh, how that would work in a Trump era. Um, I, I, I shudder to think about. And then so those if he are lost,
1: more, will he go away quietly? No.
2: Well, particularly if they can raise a question about the, the legitimacy of the, the vote tally. There's a, an effort to conflate by the president and sometimes by people around him the threat to 2020 posed by Russia and China. Chinese intervention is of a very different character. Mm -hmm. Yes, China lobbies the United States, and yes, China writes op-eds, and yes, China uses its trade policy where they know it will hurt as a way of exerting pressure on the president. That's pretty much out in the open. What Russia does is very different, so I don't think there's any comparing those two. Over the long term, though, um, China is the much more worthy rival, much more powerful rival with a much uh, more worrisome... Uh, and powerful future uh, across every domain, whether it's R&D and technology, whether it's in space, whether it's in the military front, whether it's in their Belt and Road Initiative, the development assistance. In every sphere, China is advancing while the Trump administration is Uh, self-immolating. And most worrying to me is that they're exporting this digital autocracy. And so they're not only using technology to keep their own population more firmly constrained, but they're helping other autocratic regimes around the country, around the world, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And this, this you know, points up, frankly, the, the broadest concern I have, which is the rise of authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. Um, at a time when our president is making common cause with the autocrats, uh, we always thought, I think, that the idea that more people every year, year after year, would be living in greater freedom with more representative government was somehow inexorable. It's not. Mm. We're at an inflection point, and this, I think, is one of the real ideological well, challenges I, of our time. I
1: always do say autocrats love the Internet. Why wouldn't they? It's it's a way to track faces, track data, track everything. So I want to finish
2: up on that. They love it, and I think they fear it.
1: I think they love it. Well, I think it's a great medium for them. I think it works really well in a lot of ways. So— Getting to whether these companies should be broken up, we should the way you beat this to me is competition and innovation. And even if you have a China that's funding all its companies, you can't be innovative except with lots of new companies, lots of new ideas and which is the way we got ahead in the first place. Are tech companies too big from your perspective? Is it does it pose a danger from a, an intelligence point of view and everything else? If all this power is in the hands of a few companies, AI or whatever, or data or everything. Related to that?
2: I think we have uh, probably the greatest concentration of market power in our history. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we ought to be looking at the question of should any of these companies be broken up? And what would that look like? And what's the cost of that transition? Uh, I think those are questions that are very much before Congress. I don't know the answer at this point. Mm -hmm. I also think we need to look at that profound question over whether they should still have the immunity that they do. Yeah,
1: Section 230 Uh, of the Communications Decency Act.
2: So I I think that— Nothing
1: makes Silicon Valley sweat more.
2: Well, nothing may make them uh, more highly motivated to do the right thing than the fear of losing that or losing it. Um, But I do think it's time for us to do that vigorous oversight and make those judgments. It's ironic that the intel committee was the first to do oversight of Silicon Valley in a meaningful way. Uh, and it's only because of how that issue came to us through Russian manipulation. But those kind of hearings should have been going on now for years. Uh, but they are starting now in the Congress and uh, the Judiciary Committee. The, uh, the
1: um, There's a lot of hearings. There's, what's the law that will be passed first?
2: Well, the I would think that uh, if there's major action to be had here, it will more likely come on the immunity provision before a breakup, wow. um, but but I you know that's just a hunch, mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's something you agree with the Republicans on. Interestingly, that's what the up, up at the you're not at the anti-social social media summit right now in the White House,
2: are you? No.
1: <laughs> you weren't invited. <laughs> no,
2: the last time I went to the White House, which was about a week ago, uh-huh. uh, when we were almost at war with Iran, uh-huh. um, the president looked quite surprised to see me.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> yes, you're allowed in there, right? I was invited. Right, right, but you weren't invited to this summit.
2: I don't think so.
1: Yeah. You're not really a conspiracy theorist. Um, but sometimes conspiracy theories are true in lots of ways. What is the thing that you worry the most about?
2: Well, what I worry the most about is, is what I was mentioning, that authoritarianism is gaining ground. And if we don't figure out these big economic challenges— Um, we have seen really bad things happen when people are under enormous economic strife. Mm -hmm. Already we're seeing that manifest in this really ugly form of xenophobic populism. If the economic situation gets worse around the world uh, and we've been in a boom for a long time, then uh, there's no telling where that goes. And and I think uh, figuring out those big economic questions is imperative for our economic future, but it's also imperative... um, for dealing with these uh, f- forces that are propelling this, this angry populism. Um, but I also fear that uh, as we cozy up to the Kim Jong-uns and have our love affair with these dictators, that um, the rest of the world is not standing still. And yes, the new next president, the new president uh, can begin quickly to repair some of the damage, but um, some of the damage is not going to be easily undone. Mm. And so that global picture is what concerns me the most.
1: And lastly, any of, you, know, you deal with a lot of the intelligence with a lot of new technologies that are coming. Is there one that worries you the most? Is it facial recognition? Is it AI? Is it which one of them done in the wrong way from an intelligence point of view?
2: I, I guess what I would say, um, and this is a very inadequate shorthand, mm-hmm. but um, 5G may tie this all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and make it much more efficient to pull in the CCTV and the social media scores and the facial recognition software, it begins to look very Orwellian. Mm-hmm. And I guess that, that technological autocracy is what I worry about uh, in the tech sphere mm-hmm. uh, that China is just blazing the trail for. Uh, once that's gotten hold, it's very hard to, to take apart. Mm-hmm. and so we've got more than our share of challenges.
1: Yeah, I'll leave you with a happy one. What do you like about technology when you think about it from the inte- – not for any point of view, the intelligence point of view, your personal point of view? What do you like about it?
2: Oh, I, I you know, I also represent the entertainment industry. You do. And so I, you know, I, crap I'm, I'm, out a, of a, I'm my an technology. avid uh, consumer of film and music. I love the ease with which I can watch things and share things, um and find my way around Mm -hmm. and uh so i make ample use of technology uh you know i will say one thing the big fallacy of technology which it took me a long time to realize in the beginning um you know smart technology uh gave you the illusion that you could get more free time because you could be much more efficient But no, it's completely the opposite. No, Adam it, Schiff. <laughs> you have which to stare at it all the one time. one of the reasons why I like scuba diving, because <laughs> apart from the technology your, your that mask. keeps you alive and figures You can figures put a screen out, in your mask, and that will uh, tell you
1: what the fish are. It'll be a- 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 AR. Do you know that?
2: What's that? There's
1: screens on, on masks like that where you will wear them down— Fish,
2: oh, and we'll scoot, help you identify the fish? The
1: fish, and we will tell you about them. And so as long like as
2: I don't get Donald Trump's text messages <laughs> when I'm 50 <laughs> feet below, because I would quickly run out of oxygen.
1: All right, I'll <laughs> leave it on that. Congressman Schiff, thank you so much, and we're looking forward to the hearings next week, and we'll see what comes of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Congressman Schiff for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to Emily Simons and Reen Barger. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.
0: Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously, hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just twenty-five dollars a month, taxes and fees included. That's right, twenty-five a month, every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com.